Hi, I'm Jennifer Zollett. And I'm Larkin Bell. Welcome to our podcast, A Brighter Lens. Season three with a new podcast name. Yes, A Brighter Lens. We have rebranded or really just renamed ourselves. Yes, a minor, you know, quarantine glow up, Mm -hmm. as we like to refer to it as. But also on, yeah, kind of a little bit more of a serious note, we just have been doing a lot of reflecting and learning with all this extra time. Yes. Um, And it's necessary learning. And we just wanted to have a more inclusive and expansive name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we didn't want um, a name that was exclusive at mm-hmm. all, and we are still committed to spotlighting women in the film industry. Yep, industry. <laughs> but um, <laughs> we also want to feature more trans and non-binary people as well, and we want our name to reflect that mission. Yeah, I mean, we kind of wanted to open it up a little bit more, and that was um, a little bit of the inspiration behind the name Brighter. Mm-hmm. We had a massive list of different names that we were considering and really liked the word brighter, just in the connection to um, the word lens and, and what it means to like let in more light with the lens. Mm-hmm. And we felt like that was a good uh, metaphor for just trying to open up and expand our lens um, with, you know, regards to all these stories in the film industry that we want to hear still. Yeah. And um, and hear from these creators. Yeah. And just generally... Um spotlight more people in film who maybe aren't being spotlight spotlit is that a thing i think spotlight sounds good <laughs> <laughs> and um we're really excited about this season in particular in regards to that because uh we've interviewed a lot of people in uh, a real range of uh where they're at in their careers i think yes um and in relationship to how the pandemic has affected filmmakers yes we're zooming our little hearts out Mm -hmm. over here um i mean who would have thought but thank god for zoom i guess (laughs) thank goddess you know here we are (laughs) um but no truthfully it's been it's been a real gift to connect with these um creators all over the the country who knows Mm -hmm. maybe world we'll see yeah um and just honestly talk with someone new during these times i know that that's been really nice for me personally um but just also to hear about their work and their creativity in these times um and we've made a real yeah a real shift to to focusing on on different creators in this time and and be a little bit more project specific so Mm -hmm. we get to hear about a certain project that um these filmmakers are working on yeah so i think generally speaking these episodes are a little shorter Mm -hmm. than our previous episodes Mm -hmm. um because our quarantine attention spans are maybe shorter generally they're not the same same. (laughs) and that's okay and it is uh and we do really hone in on um a particular project generally speaking which is pretty exciting yeah it's cool we've kind of gotten to get into the nitty-gritty a little bit more Mm -hmm. and hear some like behind the scenes stuff that we haven't maybe always delved into as much yeah so we hope you enjoy yes we're excited um and of course like we want to hear from you so always feel free to reach out to us um we really love lifting up this community and are excited to hear more stories in the future 
And now for our first episode of season three, we chatted with Sue Ding, the director of the Claudia Kishi Club. Sue is a documentary filmmaker and new media producer based in Los Angeles. As a freelance filmmaker, Sue directs and produces nonfiction media from feature documentaries to VR for a wide range of clients, including the New York Times and PBS. Her documentary work explores the intersection of identity, storytelling, and visual culture. Her short documentary explores the legacy of Claudia Kishi, the iconic and all-too-rare Asian-American character from the hit Babysitter's Club book series. Anyone remember those? <laughs> Claudia inspired a generation of young readers of color, many of whom are now successful writers and artists creating new stories of their own. Her film was an official South by Southwest selection and is now available on Netflix. Check it out and enjoy our conversation with Sue. Hi. Hi. Sue, thank you so much for joining us today. If you could just start by introducing yourself a little bit and tell us about your short film, The Claudia Kishi Club, that was selected to premiere at this year's South by Southwest Film Festival. Sure. Um, so my name is Sue Ding. I'm a documentary filmmaker based in Los Angeles. Um, and my most recent film is The Claudia Kishi Club which is a short film about Claudia Kishi, who is a character from the Babysitter's Club books um, and was one of the very few Asian American characters in popular culture at the time when the books were published um, in the 80s and 90s and sort of was a really important role model for kind of a generation of Asian Americans. Yeah, that's so cool. So what was kind of the inspiration to tell this story? Did you, I'm assuming you probably read the Babysitter's Club growing up. I did yes. too. Shouts out to Babysitter's Club. Um, can you, yeah, when did you kind of notice this, this like love for Claudia and, and how did that grow, I guess? Yeah, so I first encountered the Babysitter's Club books in elementary school um, and, you know, was blown away by this character. She meant a lot to me personally as you know, an Asian American kid growing up in a super white town um, in upstate New York, being able to see that kind of character was huge um, for me And um, at the time. And then, you know, I, I grew out of that books pretty quickly. They're, you know, they're very, uh, <laughs> I would say they're a beginning reader level. Um, but it was really important for me at the time. And then I kind of, you know, moved on. Um, but then in, I guess, like, maybe the early 2010s, I started noticing a lot of Babysitter's Club stuff popping up on the internet, you know, in the early sort of blogosphere, um, on social media as that grew. There were just kind of all these ongoing mentions of the Babysitter's Club and specifically about Claudia. And so I think partly it's just, you know, millennials are coming of age, getting positions at media organizations, starting to write about their experiences with the Babysitter's Club. And then specifically, I noticed that a lot of Asian American creators, you know, authors, illustrators, were talking about Claudia as an early influence. Um, and so I, you know, I had always loved the character, but I became interested in telling the story of the character in this larger context of her importance for Asian Americans and specifically, um, or particularly Asian American women um, who were interested in sort of creative pursuits. Could you talk a little bit about the process of making the documentary, um, who you chose to speak with and interview, and then how, um, I know just from the trailer, like how you put the documentary together and the kind of stop motion that you used? Yeah, so 
you know, from the beginning, I knew that I wanted to interview Asian American creators about their personal experiences with Claudia um, and sort of her impact on their on their on their career trajectories on their lives. Um, and so I kind of just started making a list of all the people that I'd seen talking about her. A lot of people had sort of had their own creative responses to the Babysitter's Club books and to Claudia. So for example, the comic artist Yumi Sakagawa had done a webcomic um, and then a zine about Claudia Kishi as an Asian American girl role model. Um, and then Phil Yu, um, who, who um, runs Angry Asian Man, um, had done these spoof um, Babysitter's Club Claudia Kishi covers where he had changed the titles to, to things that would reflect kind of, you know, he felt that, that would reflect, he felt more accurately on sort of growing up in a white town, the microaggressions that you would encounter. So things like, um, you know, he would change the titles to um, Claudia thought she told everyone to take off their fucking shoes or things like that. <laughs> <laughs> and they had like a huge, you know, people really were responding. So you know, that determined who, um, some of who I was reaching out to. And then certainly I wanted to have sort of a good spread of people working in different media, um, people with different backgrounds, different perspectives that they were coming, um, to the books with. And so I started doing interviews and then I, um, about halfway through, I did a Kickstarter campaign, um, which was very scary and stressful, um, but also really cool because, you know, the, the film had been such a private project or just, you know, I, I, I had been working on it pretty much alone. And then suddenly I was kind of sharing it with the world. And a lot of people were responding really enthusiastically about like, oh my God, I'm so excited about this project. I also grew up loving Claudia. Um, so it was cool to have that that sort of early enthusiastic response, which definitely helped me as, you know, I kind of started the long slog towards the rest of production. It was like good to have that sort of um, emotional kind of uh, support. And so, and of course, financial support so that I could finish um, the film. So um, yeah, we, we were able to raise um, enough money to cover the rest of production and the most of post-production or some of post-production rather. Yeah, so we finished production and I had these interviews and the interviews have been amazing. Um, the people that I interviewed were just, um, they brought so much of their, their personal experiences and then they're also really badass creators in their own right. Um, and so I had this, these, these great interviews um, and I knew I wanted some kind of visual component to the film um, because, you know, the, the Babysitter's Club covers, all the merchandise, it's so sort of iconic. It's so sort of distinctive. It really evokes a certain time for people. Um, it's very nostalgic. And there's a lot of it, right? There's hundreds of book covers. There's, you know, the calendars, the, the fan club merchandise, all of that. Um, but of course, it's all still images. It's not moving. Um, and there were the TV. The t there was the TV show, and then the movie. But Claudia is not a huge character in the movie. And then the TV show, I personally never watched as a kid, so I didn't have that sort of personal attachment to it. So mainly, I knew I wanted to work with the book covers and the other sort of. Um, still image illustration um, materials, but I didn't know how to bring it to life. And so I think throughout the project, I'd been thinking, okay, we'll do some sort of motion graphics approach, some sort of animation to really 
um, tie it all together and give it this dynamic feel. And, you know, I don't think I realized how much motion graphics costs because <laughs> I knew I wanted there to be a lot of it. You know, I didn't want it to just be a tiny bit of like, okay, now we'll have a little, a little sequence. I really wanted it to be part of the texture of the film. Um, and so I started just, one of my friends actually was just like, well, why don't you just like make some actual physical collages um, either as a way to maybe explore how to tell this story or as maybe you're creating like early storyboards to eventually give to a, a motion graphics designer. Um, and I, I just started doing it with my DSLR in my house with, you know, I would print out, you know, little tiny babysitters club covers or, you know, pictures of Claudia and start moving them around in my apartment on the floor with my DSLR pointing downwards. And, you know, I would just start plopping them into the edit as placeholders or sort of, you know, is this working? Does this do what I think it does or what I want it to do in the story? And then I just kept iterating on those and, you know, sort of tweaking it or being like, mm, that's not really what we want to see here. Or what if we did this instead? And they just, I kept doing more and more versions of it. And then finally, I just ended up doing all the stop motion myself. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a ton of work, but it was really cool because, you know, it's sort of, it's a very different approach um, or kind of creative process than the normal documentary editing process. And it's something that I, that was pretty new to me. It was, you know, a, a way to not just be sitting in front of my computer all the time. Um, it, it had a really tactile um, element to it, which was really cool. And it helped me sort of I felt like I was sort of embodying the spirit of Claudia, you know, because she's an artist and she does all these crazy DIY projects. I like, I felt very kind of spiritually aligned with her as I was doing all of this. Yeah, that's so cool. There's something reminiscent of like childhood in that too, you know, like cutting and pasting and like totally. collaging. Yeah, I love that. Um, I'm curious. So you, you kind of started out just, it sounds like an investigation to what Claudia meant to people what was something that was ultimately surprising to you after completing these interviews and, and kind of seeing the through line of all this? Yeah, I think just a through line through all of the process was just realizing how many people had had similar experiences. Because, you know, I grew up loving Claudia, but I didn't have any friends that were Babysitter's Club fans at the time or, you know, any Asian American uh I guess, I guess I did have Asian American friends, but we, you know, we weren't like sitting there in fourth grade being like, gee, you know, I'm really disappointed at the lack of representation <laughs> in these Goosebumps books or whatever. Um, and so what was really cool was kind of realizing through the, the research process, through talking to the interviewees um, and working on the film and talking to other people in my community about the film, just realizing what a shared experience this was with Claudia, with other characters, you know, how important representation is. Um, and then also how people have taken their experiences with that and have really are basically like now modern day Claudia's, right? Like so many of these creators had similar experiences growing up and now they're creating stories of their own. And really like, I can't imagine growing up with, obviously there's a lot to, to fix still, to work on. But I can't imagine growing up with the kind of YA landscape that there is today as a kid. You know, just, I feel like, I think it's been really great to see how people have 
had a lot of shared experiences and the importance of representation and then also how they're now telling their own stories and really bringing so many more different perspectives and voices um, and sharing their experiences. And yeah, it's really empowering to see. So you premiered online at South by Southwest. Uh, do you have, what's the future for the film? When and where might people be able to see it? Yeah, so um, we premiered online um, as part of South by Southwest. It was really amazing that they partnered with MailChimp and Oscilloscope to kind of get up a digital platform so quickly. You know, this was in the early days when all of this was happening and everyone was just like, what's going on? And so it was really amazing that they pulled it together so quickly. Um, And it was really great to be able to share the film with people on that platform. I think the hardest thing about the South by cancellation was just that I had been in isolation, finishing the film, racing to finish it. And I was doing all the stop motion at home. So I was spending days at a time at home, you know, doing stop motion all day and frantically racing to edit it. And I was looking so looking forward so much to seeing people again, to being like, Oh, I'm going to go to South by. It's going to be so great. I'm going to like, um, get to hang out with all my friends again. I'll have a social life. And then, <laughs> as soon as I finished the film, it was like, actually, never mind. You're just going to continue to stay in isolation. Um, so that was that was kind of the the toughest part about it. Um, but I think you know, of course, it's great that we're able to share films online at least um, at this time. Because who knows when festivals will be coming back? Has there been like a sense of community? with the other filmmakers that were, were set to premiere there? Like, I, I, I feel like that's one of the biggest things that you kind of lose by not being there in person is, is getting to know everyone and, and meeting new people. I don't know if, if you've experienced that online. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I definitely, I think when it first happened, there was a lot of commiserating online, a lot of people kind of extending their condolences, I guess. And and also I think I've seen online a lot of people asking about how to handle um, this sort of new festival landscape and then how that affects you um, how that affects you know distribution opportunities, um, how people are going to be handling premiere requirements, all of that stuff, because it's all new for everyone. So I've seen a lot of um, collective discussion around that. And yeah, I mean, I was joking with my friend the other day, we, like all the kind of 2020 canceled film premieres. I was like, we should all get a t-shirt or something, <laughs> you know? Um, and you're like, yeah. <laughs> um, some sort of like badge, like badge of, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll have some kind of, uh, you know, with hopefully South by will take place next year and maybe we'll all get to get a drink together and, you know, at least take a selfie or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so now we have been picked up for distribution. I don't think I can share where yet, but it will be coming out later this summer. Um, And I'm really excited to share it with people on a kind of a a broader platform. So yeah, that's really exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. Keep us posted on that. Yeah, we'll do. Um, So we end every interview with our three, two, one action segment where you just answer um, in a word or phrase. So oh, man. Okay. <laughs> so we start with three, your favorite or most influential film. Okay. I've recently been watching a lot of just like fun 
um, fun movies because I can't really handle dark stuff too much right now. So um, I'll say Clueless. Two, dream person you want to work with. Oof, these are really hard questions. (laughs) Okay, well, I will say, I I don't know, this is like kind of a sidestep, but I'm obsessed with the Fast and the Furious movies. Um, And so my dream person that I would work with, would want to work with would be Justin Lin. um, And I would want to do a cameo in the movies. Love (laughs) it. That's a great answer. One, best advice you've received? Someone once told me that it's really important for creatives to find ways for the process to be meaningful in itself because if you're doing things for you know the end game of of having your movie premiere and win a bunch of awards or you know make money or anything like that that's you know you're working on films for like years at a time and the kind of reward quote unquote at the end is such a small piece of that like you're going to be slogging away at this for a really long time without any reward and you might never get the reward. So you'd better find a way if you really wanted to do this, then you better find a way for the process and the slog itself to be meaningful to you. Cause that's what most of it is going to be. <laughs> and action. Where can people follow you on social media? Yeah. Um, so my website is sue-ding.com and I'm on mostly Instagram at Sue Dujour, S-U-E-D-U-J-O-U-R. Thanks so much. This was such a great convo. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Looking forward to the episode. You can find us at abrighterlens.com and at abrighterlens on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us at abrighterlens at gmail.com. You can download the show wherever you listen to podcasts and on Apple Podcasts where we'd love it if you left us a review. Our theme song was composed by Jesse Nelson. Our logos were designed by Meg Cafferty. Our associate producer is Elise Welch. A Brighter Lens was created by Jennifer Zollett and Larkin Bell. 